Good afternoon and welcome to Trial by Fire podcast with your hosts, Stacey Huck and Rachel Kovac. Hey, Stace, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, happy Monday. Hope you guys are all having a beautiful week. We are officially into week three of Advent. Uh, this is the pink week. Right, so yes. Um, though um, it's not just Wednesdays we wear pink like in Mean Girls. It is pink all week. We are celebrating joy, and we are so thrilled to be here with you today and talk about that. So Stace is going to lead us in opening prayer. So today is the actual uh, memorial of Saint John of the Cross. And if you're not familiar with Saint John of the Cross, he's a really phenomenal saint. One of his most famous works is the uh, Dark Night of the Soul. Uh, he's also got another great writing uh, called Ascent of Mount Carmel. He wrote some other uh, poems and things. He's actually a doctor of the church. Um, I think he's probably most famous as being the companion, or at least a spiritual companion, of St. Teresa of Avila, who, in this day and age, if parents and mothers in particular, if you're looking for a great role model, a true strong uh, woman, for your daughters to embody. Um, Teresa of Avila is a perfect example. I mean, she was a, a papal counselor during the uh, Middle Ages, 1500s, 1600s. I mean, in a time when women were, their voices were really not heard. I mean, here you have a extraordinary woman who actually has the ear of the Pope. So um, she was great. Along with John, she convinced him. They led a uh, reform of the Carmelite order, really brought them back to their roots. So they're both... Uh, very powerful saints, and and St. John in particular has a lot to offer uh, for us. Um, He's born of a noble family, but he's very poor. He's actually raised in an orphanage uh, before he goes and becomes uh, a Carmelite. He's educated by the Jesuits, so he's uh, very intellectual, very cerebral, but he's a great saint for our times. So today our uh, opening prayer is going to be taken from the Office of Readings. It's going to be the concluding prayer. So in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. O God, who gave the priest St. John in an outstanding dedication to perfect self-denial and love of the cross, grant that by imitating him closely at all times, we may come to contemplate eternally your glory through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Sorry if I, I know like the last two weeks I said I was super pumped, but uh, St. John of the Cross is definitely one of my more uh, favorite saints, and his writings are absolutely uh, phenomenal. He's known as one of the mystical doctors, uh, which um, doesn't mean he's different from any other of the doctors of the church, but he, he really, uh, his writings really uh, have an undertone of mysticism in them. He's a very deep writer. So. No, that's great. No, I think that... Um... It's been so great hearing your perspective and your feedback on the saints as we've been going through, um, because that's something we've been challenging our teenagers right now in the confirmation program. So, you know, especially going online, the way I would normally teach and um, provide catechism is different this year. And so, you know, knowing about Zoom fatigue, knowing about the strain of online work, um, I gave them their assignments for this semester back in August. I said, I'm telling you now, so then that way you have until December and January to not stress. And of course, this week I'm getting all the questions from teens because they've waited till now. Uh, but um, on the 19th, they're turning in their chosen saint papers for confirmation. And so it's going to be really great to read from their point of view why they've chosen their saint for um, 
the sacrament and how it ties to them. But I didn't know that about uh, St. Teresa of Avila. That is so interesting. Oh, that she was a papal counselor? Yes. Yeah, she is. So, uh, and she's a great saint. Uh, she really, she's got, uh, what is it? Uh, her most famous work, I think it's called uh, Interior Castle. She's definitely got um, a lot of uh, instruction uh, on how to pray, uh, especially how to remove yourself. She's got a whole methodology on how to remove yourself from distraction. Um, and it's, uh, very, very, uh, detailed. If you like, for example, like if you were looking for something to do for Lent, if you just delved in, uh, to Teresa of Avila and into her prayer methodology, it would, you wouldn't be bored during Lent. Trust me. Uh, it's actually, uh, if you are intimidated by Interior Castle, there's another book, and I think it's uh, it's called Conversations with Christ. It's not very um, long, might be a hundred pages, maybe. I don't know. I could be I could be wrong on that. I mean, I haven't read it in a long time, but she breaks down uh, her prayer methodology and how to remove the distractions. She actually does it in steps to where um, you really try to perfect just that step. Until you move to the next one. But her her um, methodology is even so simple as, as taking just like one prayer. Like even the Our Father. And instead of saying it as a complete prayer. Just focusing on d- uh, different stanzas. And breaking them up. And then not progressing forward to the next stanza. Until you've mastered the last one. So and she can actually. In terms actually, of memorization? No. In terms of uh, delving deep into the words. Into the verbiage. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I've got that one if you want to borrow it. Okay, absolutely. And I'll definitely want to see if it's available on Amazon. We can share it on our link for something for people to buy. Because is it it something that people can buy? No, you, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's just a book. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. no, I definitely want to share that because that is, you know, especially entering 2021, wanting to, um, challenge yourself, um, after you shared that you feel like an Advent failure, I uh, really came to terms with the fact that I feel like a Lent failure sometimes <laughs> uh, just because it's not even that I don't love Lent because I do, um, but I want to give myself more opportunities to really feel that uh, experience next year. So this, I feel like is just like, it's setting me up to read this and kind of enhance my uh, prayer life. Just hearing this, I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. I feel like that would be a really good way to go about it yeah i mean like i said it's a great book and you can actually because i I actually have it and i go back and forth with this book every couple years um and you it depends on what kind of reader you are a lot of times when i start reading a book um i'm tearing through like i like let's just say like before netflix and binge watching i i like i'm a binge reader so once i start sometimes i can find myself and it's like now it's like one o'clock in the morning and like okay i need to put it down (laughs) but this in particular book you could totally read it like that but you also could read it as a prayer book even though it's an actual book if that makes sense because you could break it down just page by page and not go any further because there's plenty of times especially like the first time I ever read this book um it took me forever to read it excuse me even though I'm like a very usually a relatively quick reader it took me forever to read it because I was always finding myself going back and like rereading things so it's a great book. So I'm really excited to include that in my collection because, you know, with the, um, before I started my doctorate program, the last 
seeing um book series i had binge was the outlander series from diana gabaldon which is not religious at all it's a <laughs> it's a, a historical fiction romance series which is very good and uh the lead is catholic so they do tie a lot of catholic into her stories um but i do um you know, when I started the doctorate, I kind of benched the idea of reading for pleasure until this was going to be over. It was going to be reading for research and for um, focusing on building toward my doctorate uh, dissertation. Uh, however, I feel like this echo keeps coming back to like, you need to read more. Like, even if you say not just uh, journal articles, I need to expand. So this is just definitely adding to my list of things I want to improve on in 2021. Um, but Stace, how is your Advent journey going? Because I know you were going to take a Lent approach. Has it been different this year? Is it kind of more like meh? Well, I'm still an Advent loser. And um, update, I still have no Christmas tree. If y'all... Oh, what? Yeah. I, I didn't buy any gifts for anybody. Um, <laughs> actually, I bought one gift for our daughter, and that's it. And um, let's see, if you can't, if y'all came to my house, um, and you didn't know it was Christmas time, you still wouldn't know it was Christmas time. <laughs> you don't have a wreath. On I know. I got nothing. I got nothing. Nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing, and I'm actually all right. This is gonna sound weird, but I actually think this is a good thing. So today, Gabe came home, but he hasn't been home in a while. So um, he's actually off today and tomorrow. And I don't know if this is going to change or not, but we, we don't have, like I said, we don't have no any Christmas decorations. And it's actually, it's weird, but at the same time, I feel like it's actually been somewhat productive. Because everywhere else I go has Christmas decorations. And, like, of course, when I'm here on the weekends at St. Patrick's, you know, um, the color, you know, we have the Lenten colors, we have the Advent wreath, we just got finished with the Novenas Alley of Guadalupe. Everything says Christmas in December, except for me and my house. And I feel like it's really helping me um, to just uh, delve deeper, which is kind of what I wanted to do. And the fact that I don't have anything, and the fact that I go out in the world, and the world has everything that says Christmas, and I don't, it actually, I find, is really sparking me uh, to work harder in my Advent devotion and That's in my neat. focus. So it's almost like a, um, I don't know, it's kind of like a barren desert over there at the Huck House Oil. And, uh, but it, it's working. I think it's a good thing. It sounds weird. I don't think I'm weird. Uh, but it, it's working. I think it's a good thing. No, I think... Uh... There's always a positive argument for minimalist approaches to things, especially because even if you took Advent out of Christmas, which is horrible to say, there's still the commercialism that everyone else has, like the Santas, the blow-up uh, inflatables, Christmas trees, uh, the caroling, which I can't stand, like all those kind of things that will distract. So the fact that, you know, at home, it's very, it's still you. And still your life and the way you're perceiving the season. I think that's a really very interesting challenge to take this on. It's been different. But for me and what I try to do this particular Advent, I, I know I say I'm being an Advent loser. Um, I still haven't, um, I haven't seen to fruition some of the things that I wanted to. But at the same time, it, it does have me in a more kind of... Um, like reflective type of um, state 
so to speak. Which which is good for me right now. Well, I think that you know, uh, being the third week of Advent joy, um, as much as you know, you want to take in this pink week. You want to be very uh, optimistic and joyful. Um, looking to you know the coming of the Lord. You're like, oh, it's almost here. It's almost time. This year has definitely thrown a wrench into everyone's normal. And, you know, you're terrified to look at the news because you don't know what's going to be said. You're terrified to go on your social media because you don't know what your family or friends have said. Um, And it's just been such a topsy-turvy, upside-down year. It is a real challenge this year to identify areas to be joyful. Um, It's something that... Um, early on, um, thanks to the chosen text we have um, here for our confirmation program, we identified differences between contentment, happiness, and joy right off the bat. Because a lot of times uh, society makes them synonymous. They're like, oh, content, happiness, joy, they're all the same. But they're not. They're in different levels and experiences we as a human person process and convey emotion um when we are content we are simply living to each day efficient each day of what we need when we're happy you know we find something that spark uh, that sparks a positive emotion in us positive emotion in ourselves uh it's something that allows the opening for optimism um to sink in but joy is a whole other level joy is a gift that allows us almost to be radiating in the gift of life that god has given us the ability to be present to be here um it is something that i know for myself unfortunately i take advantage of joy all the time um it's one of those things to I think especially being an educator and being, um, oh, you know, in this role where you have to appear positive um, to promote classroom functioning and culture, sometimes it's just, it's too easy to put on the fake face and be like, oh, everything's so great. But inside you just are exhausted and you're tired and you're jaded. And so ask challenging yourselves to really identify where you felt joy and not happiness uh that's something i try to take on this week is um each week of advent and and each season of advent during this week is i really want to differentiate those feelings of joy to happiness because they kind of get caught in a cloud for me and i take advantage of that yeah and i think um this is gonna sound morbid but you know Either I'm going to be the dumbest person that ever walked the earth or things are going to pan out for me. But um, a long time ago, I I decided that, um, you know, it's one thing to be Catholic. It's another thing to kind of put all your eggs in one basket and then be kind of full force Catholic, so to speak. So when you allow, if you're Catholic and you're practicing your faith, but but actually not just practicing, when you allow it to infiltrate all areas of your life, I think the, um, I'm not going to say consequence, but because it's not really a consequence, but I guess, and it's not really a reward either, but I'll, I'll use the word reward. 
The reward is this unfounded joy that you never would have had before or that you never would have experienced before. Um, what I mean by saying that is, and this is kind of like, this is personal, but I mean, I've had like a lot of bad things happen to me in my life. None of which I would, I would take away because in order to take, in order to take one of those awful things away, I'd have to give up four or five other good things that came from it. Um, I'm in no way subscribing to the God never gives you more than you can handle or God has a plan or it's part of God's plan. Cause I really don't like those, those mm-hmm. sayings. Um, cause I, I kind of feel like they're belittling, um, and, and almost demeaning, uh, to my faith even because, um, you know, when something bad happened to me, I certainly didn't always feel like I deserved it. And there were times when I definitely didn't deserve it. It's just, that's just the way the cards kind of fell. But I think that when you put all your eggs in one basket and you lit, you lit Catholicism and all of its uh, teachings and its values infiltrate your life in all areas, um, there is this hidden joy that you kind of unmask. And I'm not saying that from a, a, um, a state of perfection because I'm in, I'm in no way, shape, or form a saint or perfect, but there are other fruits that have come uh, that I just don't think would have materialized otherwise, you and, know? And that is very true. Um, I think that... Spe- uh, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a masochist for saying this, um, but please don't take it that way. Um, but I feel that there is not enough appreciation for the obstacles and sufferings that we live through. Um, it's I find so much more growth and so much more to appreciate from when I go through a difficult time than when things are good. Um, I think that it's just one of those things to, you know, I've had a lot of things happen to me in my life, a lot of loss, a lot of changes to my path and what I thought was going to be. Um, but I wouldn't be who I am and where I am now without making those choices. And I love where I'm at. I think that, you know, for the first time, you know, I think especially as a woman in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic, you know, it's hard to find people confident to say that they like themselves and who they are and what they're trying to do. And I'm fortunate to say that I am. And that's something to be, and I never would, you know, it's easier to try to find, identify joy externally, but to find joy internally is very challenging. At least for me. At least for me, it's a very challenging thing to do. Oh, yeah. But, you know, um, for now, though, we look at this third week. And it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, really step away from the shopping. Because honestly, though, if you're if you are trying to ship anything for the holidays, you're kind of too late. Um, (laughs) Just from experience. It's just this time of year that kind of sucks where if you're trying to get something further away, you probably still have like a two day window. (laughs) Get what you need done. But just for the nature of humanity and the failing uh, mail delivery system, it just kind of sucks right now. So if you're trying to finish that off, it's fine. But when you take away the distraction of shopping, when you take away the distraction of like planning your meals, figuring things out, 
you get to have more time to reflect and pray. And I really love that Stacy brought this up that, that, you know, it's been a reflective advent because it's been very reflective for me too. I think, especially after this year, really trying to process what it meant for, you know, to have a week of peace, a week of hope. And now I'm entering a week of joy. What does that actually look like? Like that has been a real, um, Rubik's cube for me to filter through this week. Well, and you know, in previous episodes, um, you know, we kind of talk, or at least I talked about or discussed, um, how I have a difficult time, uh, trusting, not necessarily in other people, but it is, you know, uh, St. Faustina, when she was writing or she was receiving the interlocutions from Jesus, um, you know, that's a devotion that I struggle with because I just don't know how she was able to, you know, Jesus, I trust in you. I can't, I can say it, but I can't turn it over like that. It's, it's an extremely hard thing for me to do. Um, but it took me just by accident, really, realizing that that joy that I was just talking about, that you kind of unmask by letting Catholicism infiltrate all areas of your life, that when you decide to trust and you decide, I'm not saying give it over to God because I don't like that saying either, but <laughs> but when you decide to, to kind of just let it lay in God's hands and then you you do end up reaping this unfound kind of joy. And when I talked about putting all my eggs in one basket, uh, the reason I even used that kind of terminology was because there are plenty of times and plenty of things that happen in my life to where um, if I got caught up on the secular or materialistic or the worldly aspect or whatever was happening to me at the time, it was easy to dis- to kind of be thrown into like this despair. But if I relied on my faith and I let my faith, my Catholicism infiltrate even the difficult times, there was first, the first step was there's this sense of hope that I didn't have because it was clouded by this just awful black cloud of despair. You know what I mean? And then that progressed into this unfound joy. Um, for example, um, and this sounds really morbid, but, you know, for Gabe and I, there were three times in particular that, that our daughter almost uh, died. And it's, it's one of the most difficult things as a parent to deal with because, of course, you never want your child to die before you. You know, um, it's just not part of the natural progression of life. You, you're going to get old and you're going to die, but, you know, they're going to live on. You don't ever expect to, um, you know, for your child to either die before you or to even be in a situation where they may die before you. But I remember the first time, you know, that something went wrong. Um, there was this great despair for both of us um, as individuals and as a couple, as a family. There was this great despair. And, of course, she was really young, so she didn't realize um, the severity of the situation. And um, I, I didn't, you know, do the best with that experience. Um, I didn't handle it the best way. I can't say that I put God first. Uh, during that episode, and um, lo and behold, a couple years later, I've, we found ourselves in um, an eerily familiar situation again, and we were faced with some tough decisions to make, and I remember thinking, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, um, you know, we always say, oh, if we could do things over, we do things different. Well, 
it was a familiar situation and I decided to handle it different. And I decided, you know, if I am as strong in my faith as I think that I am, not what other people think, but what I think, right? If I'm as strong as a Catholic as I think I am, what in the world am I so afraid of? Because my kid would be going to her eternal reward. I, I know there's people listening who think that I'm belittling it or that I can have this perspective because my kid didn't die. But there was no way that I could know that at the time. And it was a long couple years before we knew for certainty that that, that was actually off the table. But anyways, um, I decided, you know, to kind of put my eggs in one basket and to put my money where my mouth is and decided, you know, um, if that is what's going to happen, then what am I so afraid of? That's the very thing that I profess to believe in. And now just because it's difficult for me, I'm going to, I'm not going to be okay with that. And I'm not saying it's easy because it, it certainly wasn't. And like I said, there was an, another time that it happened and, um, and it was very difficult for us as parents. Very, very difficult. Um, uh, the last time that it happened, um, you know, there was, um, there were several hours that we did think that she had passed away. And, um, it was, it was difficult. And I, I remember, uh, where I found strength was from the previous time, which had been many years earlier. And, um, looking back on that thinking, I, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do it the same way. I'm going to kind of put my money back where my mouth is again, put all my eggs in one basket, and I'm going to hope and pray that whether this works out how I want it to work out or whether it's not how I want it to work out, because I'm sure everyone listening knows how how I wanted it to work out, mm -hmm. but I was prepared that if it, it didn't work out the way I want it in my selfish little heart, that um, I would have to let Catholicism infiltrate all areas again, even the ones that hurt, even the difficult areas, and that that's how I would move forward. And that, you know, my prayers at that in particular time, of course, you know, were that, that she would stay here, you know, on earth with us, but at the same time, to pray for God's will, which almost broke me as a person. I, I have to admit, it almost broke me. Um, even though it was an experience that I had experienced twice before, it was something that almost broke me as a person. And, um, I wouldn't say did it almost broke us as a couple, but how we handled it was, was very different. And, but, um, it's kind of funny cause you always think of the man being the strong one. And I'm not saying that he wasn't, he wasn't strong or reliable, anything like that. But, um, it's funny how the roles can reverse and one does what the other one needs, even though they don't know that that's what they need at that in particular time. But in this morbid sense of the situation, there was this joy, even when I didn't know what the outcome was going to be like, there was already this sense of joy that, that I had already let go that, that I was trusting that whether it was God's plan that would come to fruition or my little selfish plan that would come to fruition, that I was going to be okay. And um, and it's difficult to see, I think, things like that through because, um, because we're human and we are selfish at heart. And sometimes, you know, we always think of selfish as this negative thing. 
I don't think in this particular uh, situation it was a negative emotion or feeling. It just was, I mean, who wants to be without their kid? Yeah. Who wants to lose someone that they love? Uh, nobody, right? So I, I was definitely selfish, but I do, there was, even in the midst of the uncertainty, there was this sense of joy that, you know, this is not the end. I actually have something else to look to look forward to. You know, even if it doesn't pan out the way I do. I, I don't know if that makes sense to people or not, but um, it's definitely a, an experience that is hard to put into words. But um, it was it was a difficult time, but it is something that I that I do draw strength from just because, um, you know, it's always, I think, important for us to uh, to stay to kind of stay straight on the path, path that God has for us. And that's especially hard when we can't see the path. Mm-hmm. And as a human, um, I think that when we don't feel certain emotions in certain situations, we beat ourselves up. And, and we really feel like failures when I think at times our emotions, even if it doesn't seem like it's appropriate for the situation, it's, it's probably right on. You know what I mean? You know, you brought up such an interesting point about being joyful, even in these harrowing times. Um, we are, um, death is definitely something to where people feel odd to talk about the joy of the concept of death. Um, you know, I know that we just had last month um, with Dia de Muertos and like honoring the dead and um, being comforted that they're in heaven. Um, but you know, in the moment where you're fearing for that loss and then you're really, you know, for you, that was so much more vulnerable because it's your daughter and it's not just you or your spouse. It's, there was this harrowing fear and yet you turn to the joy of knowing you've gone through it two times before you endured. Um, it reminds me of something my uh, sisters and I just talked about this past weekend. We, um... Uh, we were talking, uh, amongst the sisters, um, you know, fortunately, um, because of my, uh, one of my sister's health conditions, um, she's, he, um, they're here, um, during the pandemic working from home, uh, trying to, um, mobilize and figure everything out. And, uh, we decided to, um, discuss different, uh, because we're all very different women. Um, we took the love language test. Jace, have you heard of that? No. No, no, yeah, no. there's a, um, uh, it's an entire uh, study that shows that we all give and receive love differently and it breaks down into five areas. Uh, those five areas are words of affirmation, physical touch, um, acts of service, receiving gifts, and um, quality time. And we had like done that. We all have different, by the way. So sorry to anyone that knows us. It's not an easy Kovac read. Um, we're all very different. Um, but that led us into this activity um, done. Uh, it's, called, it's a free app that you can do on your phone. It's called 36 Questions to Fall in Love. Um, this app was really interesting because uh, it was developed in the mindset that was going to help um, assess uh, compatibility in couples. And they broke it down with couples that were casually dating, engaged, newly married, and married for a significant amount of years. And what they found, they found two 
findings in their research that were interesting. The first is that uh, the uh, 36 questions asked were kind of like make or break. And the couples that were fragile um, kind of early on, they didn't make it. They were kind of like, oh, I couldn't go through the 36. It was too vulnerable. I wasn't comfortable. <laughs> um, and um, But the ones that were lasted longer, not only did it improve their relationships, but it challenged them to seek out that shared confidence in other relationships in their life. And that's not what the researchers prepared for. They were prepared to see, like, this is the love cure, kind of like the next match.com, like compatibility. Um, but what it evolved into is it was created to enhance not only platonic workplace relationships, but also familial relationships, uh, uh, close friendships. Um, it was a great activity to assess, like, long-term relationships and what they um the accountability that they have and the sustainability. And so um, my best friend and I did this years ago uh, when I was living in Los Angeles and we made it a yearly thing while I lived there. Um, we would always go back and our answers were so different. Uh, but I had never done it with my two sisters. And so we just did it. And one of the questions was, is like, do you have a hunch on how you believe you're going to die? And, um, honestly, I used to, I used to think, and then I don't anymore. Um, but what it led to was a conversation among the three of us about how we feel about the concept of death and if you're, we're ready. And for the first time, and I think this is one thing I'm really joyful about in my faith as a Catholic, um, now it took a long time to get here, but I'm, there's no longer that fear I have had once had associated with death. Uh, it's become something to where like, yeah, if I die tomorrow, if I die in 60 years from now, which God, I hope not, that would be way too long. Um, but you know, I, there is a joy knowing that I will be going to, you know, make my way to heaven on another plane. Like whether it's like my purgatory and then gutting to heaven, or if I reconcile everything I need and go to heaven right away, or if I don't end up there, uh, that's another conversation with some drinks to be had. But, you know, it's like there's so many paths, but there isn't the fear that I had once had. There wasn't this fear. It was like an acceptance and a joy of being like, I'm going to work hard to get to heaven. Uh, and that's what I need to do. And it's like, you know, now it's something to, not to look forward to, but it's not something I'm afraid of anymore. Um my two other sisters, on the other hand, that's their own answer for their own time. Um, but it felt very, when I was saying my answer, I felt very like, wow. Like, it felt so confident in my faith as a Catholic to be like, I'm not afraid of this anymore. It was a very, it was something that gave me a weird amount of joy to be like, okay, well, I guess that would happen. Yeah, we, um... I never heard of the test, but we had to take something like that before we were married. So we took a multi, like, couple pages, like, compatibility test, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, I think that's still a thing in uh, Catholic institutions, right? Like, to get married in a Catholic church, you have to take those compatibility tests. And uh, the priest says if you're compatible as a Catholic married couple, right? Is that still a thing? Uh, Marriage prep... Uh, differs from parish to parish but i know like when um shoot when we were uh engaged and we were doing we did our marriage prep in louisiana 
uh, with uh, my best friend, who's actually a priest. And uh, we took the test, and it was really fu funny because, you know, they put you in, you take it in a separate room. So we, Gabe and I were going to separate it. Uh, we had no clue what the questions were going to be, anything like that. So we put in separate rooms. We take the test. Actually, they frown upon even calling it a test. Um, it's like a survey or I don't know, some, some, whatever word, More but it's basically, word. yeah, yeah. But it's basically questions about multiple choice answers. And like I said, we were separated in two different rooms. We did it. And then my buddy came out and, uh, they seal the envelopes and they mail it off. I don't even know where it goes to, but then it comes back with the answers. And I know, um, for us, when it came back, he was like, oh, he's like, I was like, what did we fail or something? And he's like. I'm only telling you this because we're friends. He's like, but if you were anyone else, he's like, I wouldn't even marry y'all. And I'm like, what? Whoa. I was like, what's that supposed to mean? And he goes, well, he goes, he's like, I know y'all didn't cheat because I had you separated. He goes, but it is surprising the answers that y'all marked. Or all, we were almost identical on every question. Wow. And he's like, that's, he's like, in all my years of being a priest, he's like, that doesn't happen very often. And he's like, are you certain? I'm like, I didn't cheat on the test to get married. Come on, man. I was like, but, um, yeah, and there was only, I think there was only one or two things that we, well, I mean, there was more than one or two, but there was only a handful of things that we differed on. And he just was surprised, and I was just like, why would you be surprised? I'm like a super methodical person. You know that. I'm like, there's a lot of things that, you know, we talk about that, I think a lot of people don't really, you know, talk about we don't really have a filter. And that's really what the thing is intended to do is to really touch on things that maybe as a couple you had never talked about. You know, there's a lot of things about having kids. There's a lot of things about money, finances, things like that. So um, that was the first time I had really ever had taken anything like that in my life. So, and it was, it was interesting. I mean, cause we kind of laughed about some of the questions like after, but, um, it's really, I think just trying to stoke conversation in between the two people, you know? So, but we were, we were pretty good to go. And, um, you know, just like one or two things I think father wanted to talk to us about and that was about it, you know? Cause he was like, I think one of the, one of the questions this is kind of funny. We still laugh about this by the way. And so does my family in Louisiana, because it was like one of the questions had to do with infidelity. And it was just like, if your spouse, if you caught your spouse cheating, and it was like, you know, like I said, it was multiple choice. And one of the options was like, end of the marriage or whatever. And we both were like, end of marriage. And father's <laughs> like, my buddy, he's like, he's like, uh, yeah, he's like, so technically, I'm supposed to talk to you about this. And I was just like, why? There's nothing to talk about. I'm done. And uh, and Gabe looks at me and he's like, yeah. He's like, what are we talking about? He's like, I'd be done. And uh, he's like, y'all can't be that way. And he's like, you know, he's like, I'm like, are you really going to talk to me about forgiveness right now? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Let me tell you, my answer would have been a lot more severe, but there wasn't a choice for that. I was like, and he's like, well, he's like, technically, I can't have you both see. I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm not changing my answer. And Gabe's like, I'm not changing my answer. And he's I'm like, <laughs> I can see you both. Like, no. I was like, whatever. I was like, you know what? This is not going to be a problem for us anyway, so let's just move on. And he's like, that's a really good answer. I'm like, yeah. So, but, like, that was one of the things, you know. Yeah. And so, and it was just, um, you know, like, I'd, I've known him for Gosh, I've known him forever, and um, he had been around Gabe forever since Gabe and I were friends, even. So they they had a really great relationship, and it was just funny. He's just like, I can't believe you guys were both like, nope, it's over. I'm like, 
no, it's over. It's done. No, and it's so funny too because um, I was very much that way like for years. Um, and then someone once asked me in college, you're like, well, what if he had a kid? And he did that. Well, I think I've, at the time I was like, oh, I didn't think about imaginary Billy or imaginary Rosie or whatever in my head. Uh, but now moving on, I feel like I'd be even more sure it would be done because like they would, that act of selfishness would be, I wouldn't want that around my kid. Like, I feel like that would be just such a deal, like an obvious, but I don't know. I mean, I know every relationship is different, but for me, I well, kind of, I, I can't imagine. I mean, for one, luckily I've never had to deal with that situation. So hopefully it stays that way. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, I remember when we were like sitting there, the three of us, and we were talking about it. And uh, he's just like, so back to the forgiveness thing. I'm like, this again? I'm like, you know me. I'm like, you know how I would be. I'll be like, hmm, there's the door. Either you're leaving or I'm leaving. And uh, he's like, Stacy, you can't be. I'm like, are we talking like here as friends? Or are you talking to me like as like the priest who's going to marry me? And he's like, friends. I'm like, yeah. So basically, there's plenty of places to live. It just ain't going to be with me no more. I was like, I forgive him at his new residence. Yeah. But not at my residence. And he's just like, okay, now I'm talking to you as the priest is going to marry you. I'm like, well, you better give a special blessing so that don't occur. Because if not, I'm going to give you the same answer I gave when we, when I thought we were friends. Which is, I'll forgive, but he's, he's getting, but one of us is getting a new address. And that's just the way it's going to work. You know? <laughs> and he's like, I can't believe you're that way. I'm like, well, gave Mark the same answer that I do. How come he's not getting no grief over there? So then he started asking Gabe questions, and Gabe's like, yeah, I kind of feel like the way Stacy feels, that, you know, one of us is leaving. And um, he's like, and it's not going to be me. I'm like, whoa, I didn't even say that. And he's like, no, he's like, but seriously, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I, that's not something I want to think about because, you know, we're making a commitment, so it, it shouldn't even be on the table. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, that's a depressing question. That should be off of the test. And he's like, it's not a test. I'm like, well, whatever you want to call it. It shouldn't be on the side. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not needing to give an opinion on this anymore. But we were just kind of laughing and cutting up about it. But, you know, that's what it's meant to do is it's meant to spark conversation. It wasn't really something that we had ever talked about as a couple because, hey, um, I'm not planning on cheating. Yeah. So why are we even talking about that? You know what I mean? But, yeah. But... Anyways, like yeah. I said, thankfully, I've never had to... That's not something I got experience with, and I don't want experience with. So there. Yeah. No, I think... Um, but it's just so interesting when... Um, I, As I've mentioned several times on the podcast, emotionally, vulnerability is not my strong suit. Uh, sensitivity isn't either. And having me do something like this, those 36 questions, takes a lot. It's like, come on, Rachel, like dragon pulling teeth. It's not good for me. I tend to get really cranky and defensive. Uh, however, when I did it, um, it was different doing it with the sisters because they kind of, you know, family sees through your crap, you know? Oh, like they, yeah, like, yeah. They see you for, you know, because like even when I do it with my best friend or a boyfriend or whatever, you know, I, you still put on a face, right? They're kind of like, oh, here. And I think it brings back to what you were talking about with trust. It's like, oh, do I trust you to actually be honest? You know, like actually put my cards out here on the table. And it's just, it's a really interesting concept because, um, 
you know, with Hannah, Hannah and Rebecca, it was very, you know, like, even if I even tried to misstep and reword something, they're like, ah, nope, and they, like, were quick to correct. Whereas with other people, even a significant other, I can't imagine them being like, okay, Rachel, like, calling me out. But I like what you were saying, though, that you guys were both spot on with that answer. Yeah, it was kind of eerie that what we ended up doing since, you know, we were in two separate rooms. I, he had never seen anything like that before. I, I hadn't, you know what I mean? Um, so, I, I mean, I, I had friends that gotten, they had gotten married and did the pre-cana or in wedding prep and things like that. And I knew there was something like that, like a, a questionnaire. That's what they called it, the marriage questionnaire. Um, I knew they had done that. We never really discussed what was on it, you know what I mean? Um, so it was weird that we, we marked uh, or we answered the way we did. But, you know, I, I think I've said before on the podcast, and uh, one thing that I never take for granted is that I'm married to a Catholic, like a devout Catholic. Because, I mean, a lot of people only know me here at St. Patrick's, but people who are listening, you know, in Louisiana actually know my husband. And, and the beauty of being married to Gabe is that he makes me a better person, and he makes me a better Catholic. I mean, there's times when, you know, I don't have the best of intentions and I have someone who sticks me under their thumb and goes like, we can't do that. Or you can't do that. And I'm like, why not? This is a good plan. This is what we should do. This is what I should do. Might not work for you, but this is what I should do. And he holds me accountable. He makes me a better person, you know, which I mean, I need because there are times when I don't want to be a good person, you know, um, I wouldn't say I'm a bad person. I'm probably, like, mediocre. But um, he makes me want to be a better person, you know. And, you know, of course, when, you know, I was first engaged or dating or whatever, yeah, you know, I'm super stoked that I'm with someone who's Catholic. But over the years, I mean, we've been married a long time now. I've been married longer than 20 years. And I I think that that was one of the most underrated aspects of my marriage partner is that he was Catholic because there were plenty times where uh, we weren't necessarily talking about Catholicism or we weren't outright Catholic in a decision or something other, but it all plays into your decision making. And it, you really, when you're married to someone else who's, who's practicing their faith um, or not even if you're Catholic, but if you're married to someone who's practicing the same faith as you are, I would say even go so far as to say it makes you a better person. So, I mean, if you're, like, Jewish or whatever you are, you know, I'm sure it makes you a better Jew. I mean, you see, Gabe makes me a better Catholic. I mean, he does. It's just the way it is. And it is really nice that I don't have to explain sometimes when I'm like, hey, you know, he'll ask me about something, and I'll be like, oh, you know, and then I answer. I don't have to give the explanation because that is on par with Catholic social teaching, so he knows that's what we're doing. And and that go, that works both ways, you know. So I think it's really interesting um, you brought that up because um, I'm not with anyone right now. Um, but what I do have is I have this relationship with this doctorate program. Uh, I'm going through Liberty University. It's not a Catholic university, um, but they, you know, require almost I think almost every course so far I've taken, you write a paper at the end that brings it back to your Christian worldview. 
And at the beginning, I was using a Catholic Bible and I was getting deducted points on papers because they were like, oh, you're not using the most current Bible. You're not using the most current, you know, the issue I was using. So I went and bought a new Catholic Bible and I had a teacher write me and like, oh, you're Catholic. And I said, yes, you know, because they're, I uh, believe, Protestant or Baptist or something like that. Um, but you know, it's not, it didn't follow what they taught. And they're like, well, you know, you need to make sure this is okay, that it's in line. And at first I was offended. I'm like, who are you to tell me it's not? But it's actually challenged me so much more to when I write to not go just from like what my lessons are doing in response to a Christian worldview, but a Catholic worldview. Like being able to view it from a Catholic lens, which is more specific, which is more ingrained in tradition. Um, and I think it's just challenged me to be a better youth minister and a better uh, educator um, and a better student because, you know, it's like I have this constant thing that I'm falling back on. This partner being this program right now, where it's they're always asking me, like, well, how, you know, what is this learning that could be viewed as very secular? Education is, you know, it's like, how would you apply this back to your faith? And like, how do you know, as an instructor, how are you teaching to honor God? And even if you're not doing it in a Catholic role, you know, like what, how are you living and doing that? And so it's holding me accountable and challenging me more. Um, and so I think that it's just so interesting that you can s still find that spiritual accountability and that religious accountability, um, even if it's not in a partner. And honestly, I mean, today we we're talking about finding joy. You know, if you want to grow in your faith, um, you need to let it infiltrate all um, all aspects of your life. And you will find this hidden joy. Because, you know, sometimes we tend to think, especially uh, other denominations think of us this way, and we ourselves sometimes, we think that we're just a bunch of rules, you know, and a bunch of regulations and a bunch of can't-dos. And the truth is, is that, you know, sometimes by being disciplined, we set ourselves free. We set ourselves free from so many other inadvertent things. You know, earlier uh, when I was talking about the experience with my daughter Katie, um, you know, the reason that I believe that there was an underlying joy that I found in the comfort of knowing that if I had to give her up, that she would go to her eternal reward, It that joy freed me from a lot of the anxiety I was having about if it was going to happen. Um, I know that doesn't make sense to you probably. It doesn't make sense probably to a lot of our listeners. But if, you, if you've if you had a similar experience, you either know because you found that underlining joy, that underlining comfort, or you, you were the opposite. And so you know. And um, there are times when that's that's exactly what it did is by letting it infiltrate uh, all aspects of my life, the decision I had to make was not necessarily harder. Um, to see it through might have been a little bit more difficult. Making the decision was easy because I knew what I had to do, or enduring something was easy because I knew what was coming, or I could imagine what was coming. But there's these other inadvertent things, uh, these little small joys, I would call them, because obviously... You know, when you're getting ready or you think that you're on the cusp of experiencing death or letting someone go forever, 
I wouldn't say uh, it's a joy, but there's these small joys, I think, that you can take away. And um, letting it infiltrate all of your, your faith infiltrate all aspects of your life frees you from these other anxieties and despairs, you know. Because it really, what it did was it, it you know, I, I can, actually, I, I remember the experience very vividly. So, um, you know, it freed me from these anxieties and these other things uh, that came along with anxiety uh, not even negative emotions, just emotions that were clouding the experience at that in particular moment. And what it ended up allowing me to do was refocus on, on the kind of the, the situation at hand. Because I was spending so much time with this anxiety of what if or when, I was missing out on what could have potentially been my last days with her. And I was also alienating um, and not being a very good uh, spousal partner to Gabe, who was in the same situation as as me, not necessarily with the same emotions, but still very much in the same situation. And I wasn't a good partner for him to rely on, you know, um, or to count on, because I was so filled with dread and anxiety over something that had not happened yet. You know, and I, you know, I, I talked about before experiencing a lot of death in my life. I don't, I don't ever look at it as, as, uh, from a perspective of the person died, uh, God's will, or, you know, it wasn't God's will for them to live, or they had already been here for their amount of time and that was it. I don't look at it like that. It's not that simplistic to me, but at the same time, I try to look at it not through the lens of despair because all these other negative things and all these other things come with it. And I never, ever, we talked about before, missing out on the chance of suffering. And, you know, the idea in Catholicism of redemptive suffering and the pain that you feel. I remember, you know, the third time it happened, I remember trying to offer up everything I felt for Gabe. Because just uh, the very nature of our sexes, we experience things very different. And so I knew his gamut of emotions was, was very different than mine. And also for all the parents who, who you know, ended up in a di- similar situation but with a very different outcome than I did, you know. And, and who's to say I can't ever be back in that situation again? I mean, I hope not. Like we talked about, of course, as a parent, you always want to outlive your kids. Um, but... Um, you know, I never, ever want to miss the chance for redemptive suffering, not necessarily for myself, but for others, because there is a, a great, uh, value there at redemptive suffering. And I don't think that we, we see that and we don't, we don't hear it preached to us enough, the redemptive suffering so that, you know, what ends up happening is anytime anything bad or negative happens to us, we have this kind of why me guide. Mm-hmm. Or, or I don't deserve this. And, you know, I, I just think that it's kind of foolish. It's, it's definitely a natural feeling. I mean, trust me, when the world comes crushing down on me, I'm not a saint. I'm not thinking, yes, redemptive suffering. Let me pull out my list. Who will I offer this up for? Because I'm <laughs> such a great person. You know, I feel like, oh, my gosh, the world is crushing me right now. I don't, I, I don't know, you know, how we'll make it out. I don't know what the outcome will be and all these other kind of things start filling me and really take over. So, well, joy isn't the 
immediate response in those type of moments. That natural human response is the despair, the panic, the worry, the anxiety. But then, That's very natural um, to yeah. do. So it is a challenge to train yourself to seek joy. But let me ask you this. If you believe, if you knew for a fact that when you died, you were going straight to heaven, not purgatory, uh, certainly not hell. You were going straight to heaven. If if you knew that for certain, would everything your faith tells you, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, would you not be excited? If I knew I was going straight There's to heaven. There's a lot heaven, of presuppositions here. Like, but, I'm like, like yeah. you're like saying, like, I knew, like, at this point, I'm going to die and go straight to heaven tomorrow. Well, yeah, I'd be excited because, you know, there's the people I've lost, God, Jesus, the whole works, the saints, my girl Mary Magdalene, you know, like, there'd be, like, a fun, like, it would be something excited to feel, um, but that's not how it works, but, I But mean, it's hard to remember that you were created in the image and likeness of God, and you do have an eternal reward that you don't need to merit, and that, that is the ultimate goal of your life. So it should be. It sounds weird, I know. And I'm not saying that when I experience death, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's easy, right? But I'm just saying, think about it. It would, it's everything your faith teaches you. So really, it wouldn't be something that you should be, you should either A, fear. Yeah. Or B, dread. No, that's true. It is absolutely true that if we're, you know, if we are living and prepping to go to heaven, it, the, that's where the fear should be taken out. So I I agree, but it, when it's something so simple, you're just like, wait, but is it? Like, right. That's where the analysis part of me goes haywire, which is so bad. But no, definitely. But I just, I mean, I was just curious. I just wanted to throw it out there. If you knew for certain, would it be something that you looked on as as dread? No, I mean, it, you would feel joy. But I think as humans, if it were something so simple. Even at that, we'd still be in disbelief, like, pinching ourselves. Like, is this really going to happen? Like, that mortal doubt. But well, I think, that's, I think that's just intrinsic to being a human just because, you know, you don't have anyone to relate the experience back to you. Mm-hmm. So there is the, there's always going to be a little bit of anxiety of the unknown. Yeah. Always. And right? I think that, you know, especially in this week of joy... Being able to identify joy in so many ways. And just in this hour, we've hit so many topics. Like, we've touched upon so many different elements to feel joy. Um, But that's where we bring it back to our listeners. Like, where do you, have you identified joy this week? Uh, What have you, you know, it's like, especially, you know, uh, fellow, you know, I have family that are Sagittarius, you know, they love celebrating their Sagittarius birthdays, Um, you know, that they're celebrating a birthday while prepping for Christmas. They have all these things going on. Like, where is this joy? Um, There is like a fun, you know, one of the piece of feedback we get a lot with our podcast is you guys want things to do with your families. And there's a really neat quiz um, that you got. Um that you guys um, can use as a family. It's called the Christmas IQ test, okay? Uh, It was a Christmas IQ test. It was written by uh, Dr. Ray uh, Pritchard. Uh, It's a 2011 test. Uh, But it's a great conversation starter for you guys. If you want to move away from the secularism of this holiday season, 
and just get this time together. Uh, it's a free IQ test that you guys can go through and you go through all the questions and at the end, they provide the answers and they are able to break it down, not only the answers to the question, but where you can identify the answer in the Bible. Uh, so if you're looking to practice Bible dives in your family, if you want to be more knowledgeable about the Bible and uh, how to navigate it, this is a great little quiz to do. And it's just a fun little mental pause just to be like, okay, let's move away from Santa Claus is coming to town and go back to the nativity and the story of Christmas and how we got to be. So it's just a fun little activity. Um, I'll po um, be sure uh, to post it if anyone is interested. But it is, you know, this is such a joyful week. Uh, it's a great way to not just feel it in yourself, but to identify it in your life. And just like Stace said before, it's in all, you know, if you have the opportunity to look for joy, it is in all aspects of our life. And it's a big challenge to take a moment to pause and identify that. Um, but that has been an hour. Hard to believe. It stays. I feel like we're going faster every week. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the fastest hour ever. I don't know if anyone else, if the listeners feel that <laughs> way, but yeah. I mean, for me, it feels like great, but it has been such a great hour. Uh, I'm going to close this out um, with the um, um, Our Father this week. Uh, this week, I think that ever since you brought up St. Teresa Avila being able to break down and slowly say each stanza, like I think in the back of my mind, I'm just processing everything that means. Uh, so I'm going to invite all of you to pray that closing prayer for me and do some research for yourselves and see if you can pause and honestly pray it and not just memorize yeah. and recite. And fun it's fact, she's actually the first woman doctor of the church. Yes. So you go, there girl. you go. Awesome. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. And then Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Guys, this has been week 11 of our podcast. Thank you so much for being here at Trial by Fire. This is Rachel and Stace signing out. Have a great week. All right. See y'all later.